1: dimitri filipovich welcome to the hockey pdo cast my name is Dmitry filipovich and joining me for the third or fourth time now making him not only a vet but uh amongst the the leaderboard of most frequent uh, guests it's my good buddy alan wells alan what's going on man
0: not much i'm 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 just happy to Happy to join the the crew of of, of multiple guests, yep. and I'm just I'm trying to stay ahead of Charlie O'Connor. I feel like he's my he's my direct competition. Like he's he comes on to do. Yep. Uh, flyers coverage so i'm just trying to stay ahead of, or caught up to him so i think we're i think we're even now
1: yeah i think he's been on twice maybe but i do need to have him on again just because uh the flyers in typical philadelphia flyers fashion are uh, a bit of a circus and plenty to talk about with them but i mean obviously what you have going for yourself besides your great coverage of the team and and being uh, one of my favorite sort of hockey minds and thinkers out there on twitter is you cover a very uh interesting and very successful hockey team so generally um there's a big appetite to you know for pe- for listeners to hear about the lightning and discuss them and how they fit in with uh, the top of the league's hierarchy so there's plenty of good stuff for for you and i to get to so i get the feeling that um you know with this current core this team has uh we've got a good run here um on the pdo guest of you and i talking about them at least a couple times a season
0: yeah for sure and probably probably a little undercovered because of the the market and all that so yeah it's 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 always good to come on and and catch everybody up on on what's going on in tampa so obviously i mean
1: listen i'm not i don't have my like head buried in the sand. obviously when you compare them to some of the canadian markets especially the leafs and the canadians and so on and so forth it lags a bit behind but i do wonder you know now in 2018 um with how publicly how accessible everything is in the public and the fact that you know this lightning team isn't sneaking up on anyone they've been one of the most exciting teams to watch in the league for years now, but you know they've also been winning a ton of hockey games and making long playoff runs and they had last year's all-star game and they have a bunch of personalities in the team like do you do you still feel like um they are undercovered in the grand scheme of things or do you think that that's one of those things that is kind of it's leveling off now and this is a team that is getting the recognition it deserves.
0: I think it's, I think it's, it's definitely coming around, right? When, when teams are good, they're going to, they're going to get coverage. They kind of force their way into into the spot. Like they probably don't get the depth that, that some of the other teams have. And, and just, just, I mean, the, the economics of the, of the market size here. I mean, we don't, you know, we have one paper in Tampa um, and we have the athletic now, which is, which is great with, with Joe Smith there, but we just don't have the, we don't have the variety of coverage. And when they make their, their, canadian road trips sometimes we get some we get some coverage out of at a toronto or march or montreal or, or whatever but it doesn't it doesn't seem to be sort of constantly at the surface um the way it does with other teams but i, I don't think that's necessarily a bad t- thing for the team i think they kind of like to fly under the radar and it's it's nice for the players to have some anonymity in their in their day-to-day lives and stuff so i think i think it ends up working out
1: yeah and i guess it's kind of one of those it's a bit conditional from the perspective that like while the lightning are this good i imagine they're going to get a lot of attention maybe if things fall off and all of a sudden they lose some of these stars and stop being as relevant in the grand scheme of things maybe people will talk about them less whereas with a team like the Ottawa Senators, the montreal canadians regardless we've seen in the past of how big of a mess they are and even if they're not close to the playoff picture like they're still going to be getting a healthy dose of coverage and people discussing them no matter what so i guess that's kind of it is a bit of a conditional uh, thing from the from the media coverage perspective
0: Yeah. And I, and I think sort of like the, uh, almost like the, the attendance and the fan base size, it's, it's that stuff grows kind of cyclically over time. Right. So, so the lightning will eventually not be good again. You can't sustain this forever, but hopefully that, that next kind of down period, the floor is, is higher than it was the last time they went through that. Right. That's what these cycles of winning do. They, they build, they build the fan base, they build the attention, they build the interest and you, you just sort of keep your, your high points get higher and your, and your low points kind of Mm -hmm. get, get higher as well. So it's, it's, it's good to see them considering where they were, you know, eight to 10 years ago that there was some concern about the health of the franchise, you know, so hopefully those days are, are behind them and you know the the league seems interested them, in them as a market with the all-star game and talk about even an outdoor game and and, and all kinds of stuff so it's, it's good to see okay
1: so i mean here's the deal like they're 10 three and one to start they're pacing everyone in the eastern conference they've got that plus 12 goal differential which likewise i think they're only behind the uh, the national predators who are off to a hot start themselves in in the league so it's it, sort of the need the teams we'd expect to be at the top of the league are and and the lightning by no surprise have been dominant i'm sure you know with some of the injuries they've had they could hit an even higher gear and i don't think they're too worried about that at this point of the season but that's all to say like i don't think you know extrapolating these first 14-15 games of theirs and dissecting them and wondering how good they are like that's not necessarily an interesting thing to discuss with this team i think taking a step back and looking at it from a bigger picture perspective and sort of looking ahead to the postseason and some of the challenges that are ahead to come in 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 the offseason and and in the future years are a much more just kind of relevant and fascinating discussion topic for us and that sort of bridges us to one of the first things i want to talk about with you and it was uh, what happened before the season with uh, the timing of Steve Eisman stepping down and sort of the you know the handing over the car keys to Julian Breezeball, which we've been expecting for a while now. And I guess the only thing that kind of caught people off guard about it was the timing of it with it happening less than a month before opening day, because I think the actual transaction of it itself with Breezeball getting this job and being elevated to GM of the team was seemed like kind of a, you know, foregone conclusion. It was just a matter of when not if I, so I guess that the fact that it happened as close to the regular season as it did was, I guess kind of one of the only things that didn't really pass the sniff test.
0: Yeah, it was, it, I mean, sort of in, in true Steve Eisenman fashion, the way he ran the franchise, uh, he just dropped major news on everyone unexpectedly out of nowhere with no preparation or, or time to sort of get yourself situated for that. So, I mean, that was sort of right in character for him. um, it, it definitely was a weird time in terms of when mm. stuff like that happens. You know, traditionally that's not that's not normally when it happens. But also from a certain perspective, he had just gotten the team through another summer, had gotten Kucherov signed long term. You know, got the long term deal with McDonough. Whatever you know, people's opinions are on that. He he had sort of kind of done his thing for the year, gotten them through the draft, and mm. so it's it's a weird time in in some ways, but also in other ways, it kind of. You know, he he kind of did what what the GM does, and now it's now it's up to the coaches, and it gives Breezeblaw, you know, a full season of of time to prepare for next summer and figure out you know what his strategy is going to be, and if they want to you know whatever they want to do with the trade deadline, he's got plenty of time to figure that out. So, yeah, and, and in some ways, it, it was kind of strange. Um, in some ways, I understand. It. And also, obviously, he stayed on, you know, as an advisor in a limited role. Um, so it's, it's not like he just disappeared. Um, he'll be around. He'll be around through through next summer. So hopefully it ends up working out well where where Breeze kind of is in control, but but still has Iserman to to fall back on if he has if he has questions or needs input on stuff. And, and then he can you know, take over fully on his own next summer.
1: Yeah. I think obviously it would be a much bigger deal if people weren't sort of universally on board with the fact that Brisewell was one of the, uh, lead candidates to, he was sort of the next, the guy waiting in the wings as the hottest, uh, young assistant gm that was primed for an elevation in role after kyle has got his gig with the leafs and it seems like i like you'd be pretty hard pressed to talk to anyone around the league and in any hockey circles that would really say bad stuff about reasonable and sort of what he's capable of as as a guy running a team like it seems like for the most part um during you know in the internet era it's pretty much everyone is divisive and polarizing and you can if you look in some corner of the internet you'll find people talking poorly about someone but with breeze while it feels like he has like a hundred percent approval rating which is which is remarkable and well deserved based on his track record thus far
0: yeah i mean i think they were the the team is fortunate that they sort of had that you know heir apparent ready to go and that he hung around he had opportunities the last couple years i think and You know, just didn't didn't find the right situation, and you know, Iserman kind of stepped aside. I I don't know how many more summers they had with him as as hanging around as an assistant. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the I think there would have been a compelling opportunity at, at at some point for him to for him to jump to. So. Yeah, I mean, have, having that person in-house who already knows the organization up and down and has been there for years and a part of I mean, every contract that's on the books for them, you know, he's he's had a hand in. So nothing nothing is new or surprising. Um, and and he, he gets to kind of, Hit the ground running. Well, what I'm curious to see, and we
1: won't really have an answer for this for a while. We're going to have to give it a few years to play out. But you know, sometimes when two people like that are working uh, as closely together as Eiserman and Breezewell were for years, it's sort of natural to assume that um, you know they're on the same wavelength and they run things the same way and agree with everything. And then you know sometimes you see like in Washington it was. Like the, best most recent example with um when george mcphee left and they promoted his assistant gm and brian mcclellan to the gig and it seemed like he you know took the team in a completely different direction and actually did a much better job than i thought he would and obviously resulted in them winning a stanley cup last year and you know another great example obviously in a coaching perspective is uh with mike sullivan being john tortorella's assistant coach and sort of how differently uh they've gone about uh doing their jobs as nhl coaches so i don't know like it's it's there isn't much to quibble with in terms of eiserman's um time with the lightning there's a few contracts and a few decisions but i mean no one's going to have a 100 percent success rate and it feels like for the most part people thought of him as a top three to five gm in the league so i'm very curious to see with brise taking over this team um and that succession plan whether there's going to be kind of it, there seems to be a vision in place with his team whether it's going to carry on or whether things are going to diverge a little bit and i guess there's no real answer at this point it's kind of a wait and see approach in that
0: yeah, for sure. I think I think we'll see that over time. And I'm sure they they'll have differences. You know, no, no two people in that role are going to approach it exactly, exactly the same. But all the sort of you know understanding of what we had publicly in terms of his role was that he was very heavily involved in the in the cap and contract side of, of things. And that's what we really see the most um, publicly mm-hmm. is is how they how they sort of manage the, the cap situation. And so I I would expect to see that stuff be fairly consistent, but it, it would definitely be interesting if, if, if it changed or if maybe there were a couple contracts that he wasn't a hundred percent on board with. If, if, you know, you see him try to try to do something, um, you know, move a player and, and then you wonder, you know, maybe he wasn't, maybe he wasn't totally bought in on that one. But um, yeah, I, I would, I would expect to see, some consistency in that area and then a lot of the other stuff you know happens behind the scenes so it's 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 tough to say how what, what the overall impact will be hmm. well i guess one of the most the one of the final big kind
1: of uh moves that Iserman made Iser made while he was fully overseeing the team and i guess you make a good point there like it's quite possible that Brizois had a big hand in this himself but it was the acquisition of Brian mcdonough at the trade line last year obviously and then giving him what was I don't know a pretty divisive contract this summer. Just because whenever you're paying a guy uh, who's about to turn 30 years old for seven more seasons at a at a pretty lofty cap hit, it's 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 slightly concerning, and especially with how he looked towards the end of last year at Tampa Bay, I thought there were some red flags, but it's been fascinating to see this year I think one of the most uh interesting subplots on this team has been the fact that Ryan McDonough for whatever reason, whether it's uh, you know, some psychological elements and adjusting to a new team in a new city or just being quite frankly healthier or or, you know, playing with Anton Strawman now full time instead of a lot of Dan Girardi minutes, like for whatever reason he is by my eyes and by the numbers, looked significantly better. And considering uh Victor Hedman's injury early on, and and sort of the fact that this team is playing the long game come the postseason, and doesn't necessarily want to just completely ride one or two guys, the fact that Ryan McDonough looks like Ryan McDonough again is quite a big revelation. I think so far early in the season for the Lightning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I. I uh I came. I came out a little hot on on Twitter when that when that when that contract <laughs> first first got announced, and I I had I had to take a few days and really dive into it and come up with a sort of a a more kind of nuanced position on it. But yeah, the those seven year contract that starts at age thirty um, for a defender that's a that that's that's tough at you know six and three quarters. I mean that's that's. It seems like there's there's no way that doesn't go bad at some point. It's just it's just a matter of of when it does. Right. Um But yeah, I, I think the the I think you hit it exactly right, which was that last year he he really didn't look like himself and it's hard to know with a player that age whether it's the first signs of a decline or whether it's just you know, injuries plus that New York team, that that Ranger team was a nightmare Mm -hmm. and then getting traded, playing somewhere new for the first time, you know, and, and all those adjustments and all that stuff. So it's, it's hard to know how much of last year was a, was, was a trend or just a, just a blip. And that for me is what sort of made it a little bit concerning. And I, and I was surprised that they would be in a rush to get that contract done a year early because they could have waited, um, until next summer to get that done, and I, I wasn't sure really what. You, usually, when you do a contract a year early like that, you do it because you think you're you're getting some value by getting it done ahead of time. And I wasn't, I wasn't sure exactly what the risk was to the lightning of waiting a year on that deal. It didn't really they, they obviously didn't get less term. I mean, he, he was never going to get more right. term than that, and it didn't feel like they really pushed down the the value that much either. I think most people were thinking, you know five years and you know six and a quarter six and a half at the most kind of kind of thing so it it felt like an overpay a year early um and i i just wasn't sure you know it wasn't like there was a potential like john carlson situation where he's going to come out and play on the top power playing unit and score you know 60 points or something and then they they all of a sudden they're you know they're stuck with this this huge contract because that that's not his role he's going to going to score 40 ish points or whatever 30 40 points because he's not going to get power play time with the lightning and and it just didn't seem like they really had to rush to get that done and I, i don't think it's a it's a terrible contract it's just a matter of you know if it goes bad in year three you know then that's that's a bad situation if it goes bad in year you know four or five then then maybe you can live with it you know you can buy out the last year or two if if you have to um so, yeah, it's just that's one of those deals where, you know, you're the, the the money that you're paying is for the front end of it. You're 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 going to be paying for past performance on the back end of it. And, and you just hope that when you get to the back end that that you can navigate whatever you have to do to make the cap work much like they you know, hopefully, like a lesser version of of the Ryan Callahan contract.
1: Mm, yes, yeah, that's kind of a bit of a scary comparable there. But yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it it, it wasn't just a bit bizarre from the perspective of, especially after the year he'd had. Um, you know, I know he has a lot of name pedigree, and and they paid a, a decent price to get him in trade, obviously, and uh, they viewed him as an integral part of this team moving forward. So it makes sense that they'd want to remove one headache and not risk the idea of him hitting the open market during a time when we know we typically know that defensemen of his caliber generally get paid pretty handsomely in free agency but at the same time uh you know when you're talking about a seven-year nearly 50 million dollar deal for a guy who's going to be 30 at that point it did feel like they were kind of bidding against themselves a bit or at least um sort of taking on risk without any real upside for like it feels like he would really need to um play at his absolute best for a number of years for him to live up to that and those are the type of contracts that are always scary because you'd like to build in a little bit of upside with those deals and it felt like they were taking on a lot of risk for no reason but so far so good and obviously um you know if they do eventually get not not if if when they get a victor hedman back here all of a sudden um you know it'll, it'll be having those two pairs is what they envisioned and it'll be huge come the stretch run and the postseason and McDonough playing like this compared to what he was looking at last postseason um all of a sudden definitely makes this team much scarier to deal with come the postseason when most teams opposing teams typically do have more than just a one forward line to contend with and defend against
0: yeah I mean and and they've been they've been sort of creative in the way that they've um run their defensive pairs they they have not I mean the the strawman pair has been consistent but outside of that it's been it's been Victor Hedman playing the most minutes and then just sort of a, a a rotating kind of crew that that plays with him Girardi plays a fair amount with him but he's he's not playing top 4 minutes he's he's playing you know 5th or 6th most minutes at at, at F5 five on 5 and um, they've been trying to get Sergeyev more shifts. So yeah, it's, it's when, when they get to the playoffs, just, I assume just like they did last year, it'll be, it'll be Hedman, McDonough or strawman on the ice for most of the game. Um, and that's, that's a, that's a nice, that's a nice luxury to have. Um, because those are, those are three guys that, that you can, that you can, that you can count on kind of to, 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 to be solid defensively but also also move the puck um and get it in get it in the offensive zone so it's 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 a luxury for sure and it's it's going to be interesting to see how they try to manage those minutes during the regular season and make sure those guys are all are all fresh and and ready to to carry the load when when the important time comes
1: so yeah i mean luxury is the the operative word there and and you mentioned uh sergachev and i did want to talk about him with you because You know, I'm obviously a very huge fan of his game and he showed uh, a ton of very encouraging flashes last season. And, you know, for a team like this uh, with the Lightning, where they're currently positioned on the one hand, uh, you know, there's such an embarrassment of riches that you can afford to have a guy stashed like that on your third pair and really pick and choose when you play him and who you play him against. At the same time, though, you know, with it being not necessarily a foregone conclusion that they're going to be one of these top three atlantic division teams you never want to take that for granted and injuries can happen and there's certainly good teams they have to contend with but you would like to see um you know him get unleashed a little bit more maybe i feel like or at least give him a chance to spread his wings more whether that's on the first unit power player whether that's playing some tougher minutes just so you can see how he can equip himself because you never know with injuries down the line or or unforeseen events you might need to actually rely upon him to do so later on in the season um like what i don't know like I don't know how to phrase this question but what do we need to sort of see from him at this point because it's always tricky uh, navigating that and balancing that with young defensemen it seems like NHL coaches just because of the you know sort of conservative nature and um, the fact that younger players with the skill set that he has might be seen as a bit more uh, you know risky or or turnover prone I understand why there is sort of a hesitation to give those guys the tougher minutes and especially more volume but it feels like I'd love to see what he'd be able to do with that because obviously the raw talent is undeniable and some of the stuff you see especially in the offensive zone with him uh, kind of you know tippy-toeing around the blue line and making plays there that very few guys are capable of doing like I think the sky's the limit for him and the sooner the the sooner the better we get to see that because of, uh, what we know about aging curves and sort of the need to eventually pay him down the line. So like where are they at with the development there and sort of what's his immediate future looking like?
0: So last year he had, depending on how you want to measure this stuff, but he, he had maybe the most extreme deployment of any player in the, in the league in terms of just constantly starting in, in the offensive zone, um, just a a huge percent of his shifts in the offensive zone and then um they really managed his minutes in terms of the competition that he faced and 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 the quality of teammates and stuff so he had he had a really comfy kind of situation last year they they controlled his minutes at five on five they gave him a lot of power play time um just really put him in a, a position to succeed and i i think that's honestly i think that was the right way to handle that for him in his, in his first year in the league as a teenager. Um, I, I, you know, it's hard to speculate on this stuff from the outside, but I, I would hope that internally they have a goal for him for their top four to be, you know, headman McDonough, straw man, by the time they get to, by the time they get to the playoffs. And mm-hmm. so that's going to mean getting him more minutes, getting him, Feeling comfortable enough to play in in more difficult situations, and they started off the year sort of looking like they've taken the training wheels off to a certain extent. He didn't have that; he he wasn't even first on the team and in offensive zone starts a, anymore. Um, he was at one point, I think he was he was fourth on the team and in five v five uh, time on ice. So that's that's the kind of stuff that you you want to see, and you want to see them putting him in those positions and and getting used to it because really that's what they need when they get to the playoffs they can't have um Dan Girardi you know sort of filling that that fourth defender spot or or Braden Coburn um it's really got to be Sergachev and and he's getting some time on the on the first power play unit with Mm -hmm. with Hevman out right now obviously um that's a tough thing because they're I mean it's 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 tough even in a development role to take those minutes from, from Edmund because he's so dominant. And the other thing is their second power play unit is, is pretty decent, you know, with, with Braden point and, and Yanni Gord. Um, so it's, it's not like they're not a threat and he's, he's absolutely lights out on the power play. He just, the way he, he sort of commands the blue line and then, just is is totally comfortable, just cruising down into the into that soft spot in the middle. If they give it to him, and his his shot is ridiculous. So, um, yeah, he's he's a ton of fun to watch. And I think you know if, when you're looking at a team that sort of projects the way Tampa does, and and feels you know as confident as any NHL team can about you know the fact that they'll be in good in in a good spot in the standings come the playoffs. Um, if, if we're looking for things that they really want to focus on this year, for me that that might be at the top of the list is making sure that his role is increased that they're getting the most out of his talent and that that he's he is filling the role that is the most that he can contribute and that he's not held back um by the coaching staff from from achieving something that that he could otherwise yeah i mean obviously him
1: uh progressing and potentially being used more heavily like that if you, assuming he can handle it and, and thrive that is a very fascinating x factor for giving this team an extra gear that they didn't have in the past um let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor and there's a bunch of other stuff i want to get around to talking about with you another other and things Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of websites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust out there. But don't fear, because we've got SeatGeek in our lives to save us time, money, and make the entire process of purchasing tickets as smooth as possible. They do that by pulling millions of tickets into one easy-to-navigate place, ensuring that you'll be able to find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. And if you don't have a personal preference of where you like to sit typically when you go to a game and you have an open mind about things, they'll actually help you choose by sorting the tickets that are available based on value, showing you exactly which seats provide the best bang for your buck. We're approaching holiday season and getting that special someone in your life tickets to go see their favorite team will make for a great gift, I'm sure. Especially since every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you know that there won't be any unforeseen surprises the day of. And the best of all, as my listener, you're actually going to get $20 off your first purchase, which I'm sure is going to come handy during this time of year when you have so many expenses and so many gifts to give out. So to get in on the deal, just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO. That's promo code PDO for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now let's get back to the show. Okay. um, So... I did. Uh, I've been doing these uh, ranking podcasts with Andrew Berkshire and we ranked centers recently and we got into a discussion about uh Stephen Stamkos versus Braden Point. And I actually I don't know how controversial that is at this point, but I actually had Braden Point ahead of Stephen Stamkos on my list. And we got into, um you know, a kind of side side conversation about the idea of which is something that the Lightning have obviously dabbled with in the past and especially um, early on this season is moving Stamkos off to the wing and potentially you know taking a bit of the defensive responsibility off of him and freeing him up at this point of his career to um you know take on a bit more of an offensive role and obviously Braden Point so far has shown that he's fully capable of being a number 1 center and it's a great it's a great problem for the Lightning to have but when you're sort of nitpicking amongst these top teams and wondering, you know, if they make it to the Eastern Conference Final again and how they can finally get over the hump, you do need to sort of wonder about what the most optimal way is to deploy the chess pieces up front. And I don't know, where do you stand on on that whole topic of where Stamkos is best used and sort of what this team's, um, you know, most optimal uh, lineup is moving forward with those
0: forwards? So I, I don't... I don't think it's like uh it's like a critical thing that he like moves moves to the wing. I think probably that's the optimal scenario at 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 this point in in his career. I think that that maybe makes the most sense. The the only thing with that though is that if he if he does make that move and then you have a top line that is you know, Braden Point, Kucherov, and Stamkos. Like, obviously, that's a that's a ridiculous line. <laughs> right. Um, but you also it, it also sacrifices some of the balance that that they have when they when they have you know Kucherov and Stamkos on the top line, and then they have that that second line with like Point, Gordon, and Pilat. And that that when they run that top six, it really it gives the opposition. No breaks and it allows them in the playoffs to use that point line as as kind of the matchup line and then it frees up the Stamkos line to take um you know lesser competition and and be able to kind of focus on the offensive end of their game so I don't I don't think it's as clear cut and then the the other thing is Stamkos is a very much a traditional kind of hockey personality and that he's very muted in what he kind of communicates to the media, but he's been pretty open about preferring to play center. And I don't, you know, that's almost, you know, that's certainly like a comfort thing from playing there his whole life. And there's some other things in terms of perception about your role on the team and when you're a captain and things like that. So I I don't know, I, I would have to, I would have to think about it a lot to try to figure out, you know, or between, you know, his preferences and then you know sort of the way it it impacts the balance of the top two lines unless you know you, what they did early in their season was they they dropped Kuchar down to the second line you know nominally um to reunite the triplets and, and play him with with Tyler Johnson and Plott and so there there's some opportunities there I, I would I would rely on that more as a um kind of a thing to jump start the team when you need it and I I would if I was you know, John Cooper. I would think about having that point Stamkos Kucherov line in my back pocket when I when I need a goal late in a game and and things like that. So I would definitely be interested to see them explore it more. But I'm I'm not sure how much I, I don't I don't see any immediate pressure to try to try to get to it full time. But if if they felt like that was one of the options when things kind of stagnate, um, either in a game or you know if after a stretch of games, they they want to play them on the wing for you know a week or two or whatever. I think that would I think that would make the lineup more flexible and and possibly make them more dangerous at times,
1: right? I mean, that's an important thing to note. That ultimately, uh, this is, like I said, a great problem to have. And whenever you're trying to figure out uh, some combination of these top six guys, and, and we'll get into the bottom six as well, which I'm a big fan of, but uh, you can't really go wrong. It's just a matter of sort of trying to uh, squeeze out the most potential out of these these group of guys. And you're, you're right. I mean, there is like a psychological element to that where we very rarely see what we saw last year from a guy like Claude Giroux, for example, where a top center for so long willingly and sort of gracefully takes that like it's understandable that there is a bit of uh, prestige or a bit of ego and honor and in, 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 pl- in play here where these guys take pride in being that center and you know we know how highly coveted centers are and it makes sense if you've been playing that your entire career that you kind of view that as a demotion, even though it might not necessarily be in the grand scheme of things and it's it's also kind of tricky because this isn't your conventional uh if you're just thinking about it from an x's and o's perspective and, and chess pieces like typically it would make sense that stamp goes especially now it feels like he's a bit more of a playmaker than a shooter i'm not sure how much of that is by necessity or how much of that is intentional on his part but at the same time like when you have a guy like kucherov on that line you typically want the game and the puck flowing through him as much as possible and you want him dictating and making a lot of the decisions and a lot of the plays and that's not very common there's very few wingers you really see that about uh with the game spread out from down the middle so it's weighing all of these things and trying to figure out whether it's a bit redundant having stamko's point and kucherov on there or whether you're better off having points sort of running his own line with tyler johnson like you're right there's so many uh you know, things to weigh here and ultimately, um, you know, it's a great problem to have, but it is something John Cooper will, I'm sure, uh, be losing quite a bit of sleep over toward as the season gets going.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and I, I think that's, that's a key thing, right? Is uh, when I think about this stuff, sometimes I, 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 sort of think about, um, like when you put point on that line, like how much is he even going to see the puck? Like, right. like sometimes it's just nice to have a guy like JT Miller or, Vlad in the past who's gonna who's sort of happy to be sort of the third person on that line and 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 be digging for pucks and be re- reliable in the defensive zone and and solid in the neutral zone and you know pick up a whole bunch of goals around the net um, I, I, I think so I almost think sometimes that's a that's a almost a better fit and then and then you let Kucherov and Stamkos kind of you don't even just you don't even really assign them positions. Stamkos can be the center; that's fine. But you just sort of let them do whatever they're going to do, and they they seem to. They've both been been vocal early in the season about wanting to play together. When when that line was separated, that was again, you know, Stamkos kind of joked with the media a little bit about about trying to get you know Cooper to put them back together, and and Kucherov gave gave an interview in the in the Russian media where he he talked about wanting to be back with Stamkos. So, um, you know, if those guys like playing together and feel like they have the chemistry and, and sort of know where each other is going to be. I, I'm, I'm inclined to kind of let them, let them figure out what, what works best for them. And then I think, like you said, point is, point is good enough to drive his own nine. And I, I don't, you know, when you, when you absolutely need to dominate a game, you can run those three guys together. But if, you know, over the course of 60 minutes, I think maybe you want to, you want to split that up a little bit and, and, and let point do his thing because he's, he's, perfectly good enough to do so well and i'm sure this isn't um
1: by accident with with the team uh planning ahead and taking a bigger picture view and trying to keep everyone uh fresh and healthy come the postseason but last i checked their forwards Uh, in terms of their usage in all situations was remarkably evenly well spread out where it was most guys are typically in the 15 to 17 minute range and you're not seeing like in some instances with oilers for example where they're playing uh mcdavid and nugent hopkins an absurd 22 23 minutes a night like for the most part this team because of all these pieces they do have um can afford to really spread it out and not necessarily uh, overwork or rely upon one line. So it's not one of those things where if you were just fully decided, okay, we're going to play Kucherov and Stamko's an obscene amount of time um, and point as a result is simply going to be on the benches. Cause he's not with those guys. Then maybe one thing where I'd go, okay, well it's a shame that point isn't playing himself and maybe you do want to get him those minutes. But in this case with them really just rolling those lines, it does make sense to go with that more balanced approach and have him on the second
0: line for now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I think it makes sense. And uh, you know, they, they have been th- their their top nine is, 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 pretty pretty balanced. Um they, I don't think there's a lot of teams that, that roll three lines that good. They still have a little bit of a traditional fourth line with with Callahan back in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Um they they could really run four lines if he you know if they were, were willing to play Adam Ernie um over Hawkhead or Callahan, they would have to figure out you know who's going to play the center position and things. But yeah, when when Pallott's back in the lineup, they they could legitimately run like twelve forwards who would who would be in the in the top nine for for most teams, which is which is pretty scary. I think if they weren't playing Ryan Callahan come the
1: postseason, I think Pierre McGuire's head would quite literally explode on national television, which I guess would make for good TV. Um, but yeah, uh, so. I want to talk about more with Stamkos because he is obviously such a fascinating player. I mean, his highs have been so high throughout his career. And then with the injuries and a lot of it being just very unfortunate timing, especially when they've happened and sort of the severity of them, it's been a lot of stop and start. And obviously he was, you know, relatively healthy for the most part last year. And, and definitely, especially early on, looked like he was back to being pre leg injury, Steven Stamkos and was flying out there and creating a lot, uh, with sort of his penetration in terms of the zone entries and really creating space for others but his you know his statistical resume especially um you know the past two years is is very very interesting with his you know truly generational and maybe once in a lifetime uh efficiency in terms of both volume and conversion rate on his shots uh really kind of coming back down to earth and i believe it's He's shooting under 10% this year, and I'm sure that'll spike a little bit and has already done so in the past couple games. But, you know, considering the opportunities he gets, especially on that power play and how much uh, Kucherov creates for him, you'd expect that to be a bit higher. And I am wondering a bit uh, as he ages here and gets into a different stage of his career sort of how he will age and what he will look like as a player and what that statistical uh, portfolio of his will look like and i I don't know like where do you stand on that in terms of uh sort of this evolution of him from more of being a truly one-shot scorer to a bit more of a playmaker and sort of how that interplay works with kucherov and what his future looks like
0: so I, i wrote about this in some depth over the summer. And I, the thing that I thought was most interesting about last year is, um, and, and you hit it exactly, that he's made this this transition to being more of a, a playmaker and, and um, creating for others. He's also become a more well-rounded player. Um, he was a sort of singular talent, both in terms of being a unique player in the league and just being, you know, really really one dimensional. If, if we're being honest, his, his defensive game wasn't, wasn't great. Um, he scored a ton of goals. Um, but that was that was kind of the, the, the one part of his game. And it was good enough to make him one of the best players in the league. So I'm, I'm definitely not <laughs> definitely not downplaying at all. But he, he is sort of evolved into a player who still has that shot and still, um, still can get it on the power play when when things are kind of set up but I I don't think he I don't think he gets that shot um or gets the same opportunities for himself at 5 on 5 the way the way he did earlier in his career and that's understandable that's that's normal aging and and then you you tack on the injuries he's had um and you, you know that it, it makes sense that that would happen I think the interesting thing about last year was that he he changed his game um or i don't know if he changed his game or if it just happened naturally he he actually gave quotes in the media saying you know that he wanted to get back to be more being more of a goal scorer this year and stuff um w- which i thought was interesting kind of made it seem like it wasn't you know an intentional or kind of kind of conscious decision to make that shift but the in terms of in terms of value like if you look at you know war or or anything like that like last year was one of the best seasons of his career um, and a lot of that value came on the power play, but also he was he had a ton of assists at 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 five on five. And and so playing with Kucherov, um, obviously, he, he he played with Marty St. Louis earlier early in his career. So it's, it's not that he hasn't played with talented players before, but they just they seem to have that kind of chemistry where he doesn't he doesn't maybe feel the pressure to score all the goals or the or the offense doesn't. Run through him a hundred percent of the time, the way that it that it did earlier in his career, and he's just sort of. He, it, I think the game sort of flows more naturally, and and he's 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 a part of a of a line more than just the guy who's who's dominating the game, and and that's a change, and and I think. You know we'll never see you know what we saw from him earlier in, in his career and i think that we'll always look at his career even even when it's done and wonder you know what might have been if not for the injuries but if he can if he can sustain what he started to do last year he's gonna he's still gonna put up you know a really Im- impressive career if he can keep that going for for a little while well and
1: the thing is and you know this is usually a negative thing but i think in stamkos case in particular it's actually a very positive thing and it's like it feels like in hockey circles in an nhl um you know, it's really hard to shake uh, narratives or 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 beliefs about players or teams, and and in Stamkos' case, even if that natural shooting ability comes back down earth and he's more of a mere mortal in the years to come because of that natural aging curve and and because of the injuries of taking taking its toll. Um, whenever he's out there, just because he is Steven Stamkos and what he's accomplished throughout his career, like teams are still going to have to game plan for that, and you know, not necessarily shadow him, but sort of be aware of that at least whenever he's on the ice and maybe leaning a bit more towards him and now that he has shown um, those different elements to his game and in particular um, you know the east-west passing with him and Kucherov has been uh, such a joy to watch and they really feed off of each other that sort of threat of him as a shooter even though it might not necessarily be as full of a reality anymore can still work wonders for him in the lightning just because it'll create extra space for others and also now that he is willing to make those passes and capable of them all of a sudden you know other guys can thrive off of that as well so it's one of those things where um he can still as you mentioned find a way to be supremely effective and a top high-end uh point getter and offensive contributor even if the actual skill set itself
0: has deteriorated a little bit over time yeah I mean I think that's going to be the the important thing for him and what that was one of the things that I'm really interested to see this season with the team is is was last year just sort of an anomaly for him or or is this going to be sort of a trend where he's gonna he's going to enter into sort of a different stage of his career with a with a a different way of being effective and um you know, if he can do that, that would be, that would pretty be a pretty amazing thing to see because that would be such a, such a sort of drastic transition and, and change in styles. Um, but still being able to, to be dominant just, just in an, in a different way. Yep. Um, all right,
1: Alan, let's take one more quick break here and then uh, we'll wrap up the show with uh, a few other points that I wanted to hit before we get out of here. Sounds good. I'm happy to announce that the Hockeypedia cast has partnered up with uh, one of my favorite U websites out there, uh, Puckpedia.com. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with Puckpedia, they recently launched and they're basically the ultimate source uh, of information for hockey fans. I mean, whether it's salary cap information, player salaries, basic and advanced stats, draft and transaction history and news feeds, game preview scores, injury news, so on and so forth, they have it. And... When I'm prepping to do the show, they've really become a bit of my go to resource for making my notes and figuring out what I want to talk about, because they really have everything that I'm looking for and everything that I need when I'm researching and preparing in one place. And it's super easy to use and user friendly and easy to navigate. And it helps a lot having everything in that one stop shop so that you don't need to be switching between websites because i know that can be a bit of a hassle when you're going from one place to another trying to figure it out and information is different and you can't figure out what's right and what's wrong and it's just one whole mess so you can avoid that by simply going to buckpedia.com and finding everything you need there and you know for example for today's show i was looking up some stuff for the tampa bay lightning and you know they've got the individual player pages. They also got the dashboard filter for Tampa Bay, so everything was right there, and it made my life <clears throat> a lot easier. And it will make yours as well. And the one other thing they do actually have that really separates them from some other websites out there is they've got this uh, agent leaderboard, and it's got information of all the clients and contracts for each agent. And I love that. I mean, it's you know it's a small little thing, but it's kind of cool and for example when uh nate schmidt signed his mega deal the other day uh i got to look up that he's represented by matt keeter and who has you know paul stasny and blake wheeler and Zeno chara and so on and so forth and kind of a, a who's who of um of nhl players that he's representing and so it makes sense that he got nate schmidt a nice little deal there so anyways um to get all your hockey information and use in one place just go to puckpedia.com and you can follow them on twitter at puckpedia where they are constantly tweeting out links and uh relevant news information as stuff comes across the wire so anyways we'll be talking much more about them in the coming weeks and months on the show but i wanted to uh familiarize you with them a little bit and uh spread the word because i use them to help prepare for this show and you should as well for your, anything that uh you might need in the future so anyways, uh, let's get back to Alan Wells and the Hockeypedio cast. Okay, so we mentioned earlier, um, you know, the cycle of your typical team, especially in a salary cap world, um, you know, there's sort of you go into way up and you're, you know, if you're lucky, at least you, you kind of have that rep as a young, exciting team that's on the verge of special things. And then hopefully you have a, you know, two, three, four, or even five year window there to compete in conference finals and compete for Stanley Cups and hopefully for your sake you do eventually get over that hump and we still get to see that from Tampa Bay and we'll get into that a little bit here later but then as we've seen with teams like the Kings and the Blackhawks and you know the Canucks um, there's eventually a price to be paid for that success and there's typically a downswing there where you inevitably wind up with a bunch of aging veterans that are signed long term and aren't the players they once were. And you're just going to have to kind of accept that. And obviously, if you're a team like the Blackhawks or, or the Kings, you have a couple uh, recent Stanley Cup victories to lean on and remember during these trying times. And it makes it certainly more palatable. Um, now, there's a couple ways to fight that off, obviously. And one of them is avoiding those long-term deals which is easier said than done at times especially with the sort of loyalty component of it and the emotional attachment but the other and this is where the lightning have a leg up on a lot of these teams that came before them is you know savvy drafting and finding guys outside of the first round because you're typically not going to be picking high if you're a really good team and whether it's you know there's a ton of guys that are already in their prime now and and key contributors we know about their stories but there is this next wave of guys you know with the matthew josephs and anthony sorelli's of the world and I mean, for a team this good that hasn't been picking very high for, for for a while, like having guys like Boris Kachuk and Alex Volkov and Taylor Radish and Mitchell Stevens and so on and so forth, like it's a loaded pipeline of guys who conceivably could come up and play big roles on this team in the bottom six while still on entry level contracts, not making any money. And that's sort of one Key factor that a lot of teams that do wind up on that downswing don't have the luxury of, and it feels like I don't know. Do you do you think that this Lightning team eventually will have that downswing? But do you think that drafting and how well they've done it over the years extends their shelf life a little bit to actually extend this
0: era of winning that they're currently in? I I think it does. I I think it helps. I think what I mean you're exactly right in sort of in terms of how that that cycle works, and and I think um as well as as the lightning have done to this point um the pipeline as as deep as it is it it doesn't have the same kind of high end kind of i think superstar kind of potential that it that it did even even a few years ago so i think no matter how good you are um at that you know just they, you know, they traded the first round pick for for Ryan McDonough last year. I mean, you do things like that when you're a good team. And if they if they, you know, win the cup this year, then really who cares about everything else? But if, right. if they do, then they they lose their first round pick, you know, in the next draft, and that's another year of of missing out, you know, of not picking. If you're a good team and, and you trade your first round pick, you're not picking until the late 50s, early 60s, um, you know, and that's it's it's tough to find, you know. The, the players that are going to sort of keep you at the level where, where the lightning are, but yeah, they they've done a great job of finding talent in the, in the middle rounds um, you know, sort of scouring for, for undrafted free agents. Right. They, they had Marches. So, and, and ultimately missed on him, but they've, they've learned from that lesson with, with Yanni Gord. And now they've got, you know, Alex Barry Boulet from, from from the queue who's in Syracuse and looks like a another legit pro who's who's gonna pan out. So yeah, it's it's they've they've sustained it and what what they've been able to do is make sure that while they have this this super high end talent on the top two lines, like that that third line with Sorelli and Joseph, um, that they have some some guys who are affordable who can who can tilt the ice and, and those guys might not score that much i I don't know that they have the the ceiling of of some of the guys who came before them but but they're going to keep the puck in the offensive zone and and they're gonna you know they'll they'll score some um but yeah it's 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 huge to be able to supplement the superstar talent with with guys who can who can complement and and almost as importantly you know be be inexpensive
1: yeah no supplement's a great word to describe this the situation is because you know for most of these teams it's like you know they have the one or two top scoring lines then you're like okay well if the other guys can just kind of hold the fort and not get completely caved in and just buy the top guys a bit of rest uh we'll take that and they can just kind of play 50 50 ball whereas with this lightning team the goals obviously haven't been there and, and i'm not sure what that finishing talent is and whether they ever will sort of match up with the shot data but yeah with with Matthew Joseph who um is a heck of a player I love watching him him and Sorelli for check and create havoc on opposing defensemen and as long as you just have the puck in the other team's zone and you're just peppering the goalie and tiring out the other team's players like you'll take that every day of the week and stuff like that is what makes this team um you know so as effective as it is and as dangerous as it is come postseason because when you look at it um assuming health there are very few holes and it's typically tough for a team that has the high end talent talented lightning do uh and when you're paying those guys as much as they are to have um that type of a situation where there aren't a lot of spots for other teams to really take advantage of and 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 pick on in, in playoff series so i think that's a, a massive
0: luxury and, and can't be understated yeah yeah for sure and 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 the fourth line i think is is maybe not you know, as optimal as it could be, I think the the blue line is going to get really interesting um, this summer because they got a bunch of expiring contracts and they got a bunch of young players who are, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe ready to go um, mm. for next year. So that that's going to be that that's going to be one of those first big challenges next summer is is when they've got the point contract they've got to get done. They've got Stralman, Girardi, and Coburn expiring. Um, on the blue line. And then they got, they got to figure out how to sort of fit all these pieces back together and come back. Um, Obviously they'll they'll have Hedman and McDonough. So, you know, and Sergeyev. So they'll, they'll feel like that's a start, but there's, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of holes. And that's, that's what they've been good at so far is, is having guys ready to, to, to slide in and, and fill those spots. So, but that's going to be with with the, with where this team is in their cycle, that's going to be an every summer thing where they, they are going to have, a contract, you know, a cap challenge, and to get someone signed, and then they're going to have very little, mon- very little money left to fill the remaining spots on their roster, and and the best way that, that you can handle that is to have young guys who are ready mm-hmm. to play. Because if you find yourself scrounging around for, um, you know, inexpensive veteran players, that's that's usually gonna that's usually gonna go poorly. Yeah, and at least there's an upside
1: there. Like you know, when we talk about with a guy like Joseph, like there's certainly strengths and weaknesses to his game but we've seen him produce at lower levels and if this is all he is like that's still a very useful and and valuable player but there is just based on his age and what we've seen in the past there is that kind of the door is open a little bit for there to be more left in that tank and and for them to squeeze out of him and and so that is an exciting proposition whereas you're right typically with these teams you see those Brian callahan chris Ho- chris kunitz types uh occupying the end of the roster it's like okay well we know exactly what you're going to get from that guy and it's not very exciting and you're sort of it, it, it's it is what it is right whereas with these guys at least there is the potential for more
0: yeah and and sorelli and joseph are going to score more than they have in the first 14 games where they they dominated the shot and expected goal share and scored one goal that's <laughs> a line so they're definitely going to definitely gonna And how excited were you about that goal? <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty great. It's it's um it's always fun one of the most fun things as a fan is is to root for young players always and especially young players that come into the lineup with a ton of energy and excitement like like matthew joseph has and kind of surprise in camp you know he wasn't really supposed to make the team this year he he's probably you know ahead of schedule by you know at least at least half a season or something you know you figured that you know there would be an injury in the middle of the year and he would get his call up and maybe he would have a chance to to earn a spot but that's that that's that's one of the fun things to see, and so that that line last year was the same, but you swap Matthew Joseph for for Yanni Gord, and and they were scoring a ton, and obviously some of that is is Gord's offensive talent, um but Sorelli was scoring too, and I, I don't know that he has the the upside that he showed at the end of last year, where you know he looked he was playing like a, he was scoring at like a you know like a hot like a high end second line, you know, low first line rate. I don't, I don't think he's that, but you know, he, he may have some of that like high, high end third line potential and, and, and Matthew Joseph too. And who knows, maybe the, maybe one of those guys surprises us and looks more like a top six forward than, than they initially project to be. But yeah, that's, that, that that's going to be a fun, that's going to be another fun. They've got kind of tandems on each, on each line, right? They've got the Stamkos Kucherov and they've got, um, Point and Gord and now they've got sort of Sorelli and Joseph on that on that third line and it's going to be fun to watch them just just create havoc and maybe not always be the prettiest hockey and and have the nicest kind of finishes around the net although Joseph's first goal was a nice one but but they're gonna they're they're gonna make life rough for, for the opposing team when they're on the ice
1: yeah no definitely and you know we talk I talked about this quite a bit last year with the washington capitals for example and it feels like the lightning have uh taken that mantle a bit from them now that they shed their playoff demons of sort of the 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 natural successor of team that is really really good and is still looking to get over the hump and finally win it all in the postseason. and you know you you cover the team and and you do a great job doing so but you're also a fan first and foremost and you watch all the games and i'm kind of curious about that sort of internal struggle or, or dialogue that takes place where it's like on the one hand um you know this is a really fun team to watch and they're doing great things in the regular season and you want to relish that and enjoy the ride because there are you know, obviously remember a time when that wasn't the case and you know that it won't last forever or at the same time you have it kind of this idea in the back of your head is like okay like trying to keep it in perspective of how much that that regular season success ultimately really matters and whether they'll be able to finally do it in the postseason like how's how 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 does it feel going through that internal struggle on a day-to-day basis when you're watching this team and is there a bit of that Consternation amongst the fan base? Because it, it's not necessarily to the degree, obviously, that it was was with the Washington Capitals, but it does feel like now that the Capitals have won, the Lightning are sort of the team that's taken
0: their place a little bit. Yeah, I think... I mean, I think... I think there's definitely that feeling in the fan base first in in, in general. I think that everyone sort of knows what the goal is, and I think it's not just in the fan base, it's in the team. I mean, the team talks about it pretty openly. They know what their goal is, they know what... The next step for them to take is to feel like, you know, they've built upon the success that they've had. So, you know, I I don't, I don't think that there's sort of any, any mystery around that for me. What I, what I try to do is, is I try to enjoy the regular season as much as I can, because the playoffs, um, you know, this is, this is the way that, that things work in North American sports where we have playoff systems. Um, that's just the way we do things, but it, for hockey especially just staking your definition of success on a a 7 game sample is you know that's uh <laughs> no. that that's that's a rough way to go about things like the the amount of randomness and variance in that is is kind of overwhelming and it's it's you know there's you feel like just being the better team has is not enough (laughs) in hockey. You're, you're really at the mercy of sort of what, what the shooting percentages are and sort of what happens in that, in that sample of games. Um, So yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to sort of, to sort of try to keep perspective on that and, and know that the regular season in, in some ways, and I know this is such an unpopular opinion, but it it really is a better representation of, of who's good and who's not. And then the playoffs is sort of, we do this small sample sprint to, to kind of up the stakes and, and, you know, give everyone heart conditions.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. And I'm, I'm obviously, I've been a big advocate and a big proponent of the idea of rewarding teams for regular season success and stacking the deck in their favor so that You know, if you are going to insist on this money grab situation of of playing eighty two games, which is preposterous in and of itself, but if you really are going to do that, at least make it count. And you know, we did see a bit of that last year, obviously with. The fact that, you know, the Lightning coming out first in the Atlantic Division helped them avoid that first round matchup against either Boston or Toronto. And they got much more of a cushy opponent in in New Jersey. And those two other teams really battled for seven games. And by the time Boston came into that second round matchup against Tampa, they were a bit of a shell of themselves physically. So, you know, they certainly got the luxury of that and having home ice helps. But it is kind of you are balancing that been there, done that formality of this 82 game marathon regular season versus you know, enjoying the ride and then sort of keeping an eye on the playoffs and the seating and all that. So it's, uh, it's an emotional roller coaster, And obviously there's so many factors that go into it. And I'm sure, uh, being that close to the situation, living there and also following
0: the team on a day-to-day basis that only adds to that and heightens that. Yeah. And it's, it's the thing with this team is it, it's like, um, it's not even just the playoffs anymore. Now it's like, it's like you don't even start. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like Um, It doesn't it doesn't feel like they're approaching a successful season until they're like doing well in the second round. You know, it's like (laughs) even if they got bounced in the first round, that would that would kind of feel like a nightmare season as as sort of ridiculous as is that is understanding, you know, how how things work in the playoffs. Um, You know, you you hit a a hot team in the first round and and anybody can get bounced. But it um, yeah, it's it's going to be. It's it's a tough thing to balance but that's that's sort of the reality of of the way it is and so I I don't know as, as a fan I just try to enjoy moments like you know matthew joseph's first goal and brayden Coburn scoring two goals the other night and and just the sort of fun stuff like that like that that hoping happens during the season because once it gets to the playoffs um then uh it's it's not fun at, at all <laughs> yes yeah
1: it's uh it's quite a ride yeah i think it's gonna be similar to last year though like obviously right now they're sitting pretty with their early start and, and all the wins they've been banking and um it looks like once again just like as we forecasted in the preseason tampa bay boston and toronto are going to be those three teams that come out of the atlantic and it just remains to be seen whether a four teams is going to come in as a wild card but obviously with the current setup um it's such an advantage to be first in that division and get one of those crossover teams potentially in round one as opposed to having to go through that nightmare matchup against either the leafs or the bruins so that's obviously uh incentive in and of itself and i imagine that uh that's gonna help sort of uh keep 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 their sights set on the regular season at least for now and not fully be looking ahead to the postseason
0: yeah and i think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch with from a coaching perspective is whether we can get any sort of you know indications or whether they're willing to talk about it all as the season goes on in terms of how important they think um you know getting that getting that seating position locked in is um you know they they played andre vasilevsky pretty heavily last year um I think that based on sort of the work we know in that area, that that's probably less than optimal. They they talked in the off season about getting those starts down, but you you know, you wonder as you get later in the season and you know, do you stick to the schedule with him where you're giving him all the nights off you're supposed to if it if it starts to mean the difference between, you know, playing the fifth place team in the metro, you know, or or playing, you know, the Leafs or the Bruins, that that starts to become a tough decision. So it'll be interesting to see how they how they handle that and whether they continue to manage minutes the, the way they have, and whether they continue to rest uh, Vasilevsky the way they have.
1: Yep, no, that's well said. Um, all right, let's get out of here, Alan. Plug some stuff. Obviously, since it's been a while since I've had you in the show, you have a, uh, a swanky new job title since the last time we chatted. <laughs> yeah,
0: I am. Uh, I am the the interim site manager uh, at Raw Charge. So. Um, SB Nation hockey has been going through a lot of changes and I'm, I'm running this site for now, hopefully long term as well. But it, but at least for now, um, I think Raw Charges is, is probably the, if not the best, one of the best places on the Internet to go and get lightning news. I think we have pretty comprehensive coverage. We have a great team of writers there. So encourage everybody to check that out. Obviously, I'm on I'm on Twitter at Loser Points and. Um, you can follow me for lots of uh, yelling when Matthew Joseph scores a goal um, and occasionally maybe something insightful if, you know, uh, maybe like once every two weeks or so. So, um, yeah, that's that's where I'm at on, on Twitter at Loser Points and, and then follow the blog Raw Charge. Awesome. Well,
1: uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to come chat, Alan. It was a blast as always, and I'm sure uh, we'll get you back on sometime down the line here as we get closer to the postseason. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me. Before we get out of here, I did want to remind everyone that this season every thursday night we are hosting a uh, daily contest over a fan for listeners of this podcast um i was actually at a personal peter shirelli-esque run of sorts of finding new and unique ways to mismanage my team and underwhelm and not live up to the hype um, as someone who hosts a hockey podcast and does this for a living you'd like to think that i would know a thing or two about this but i had gone 13th 15th 16th and 17th Finishes In the first four weeks of the season, and that's out of 20 teams. Um, but this past week, I actually finished second somehow, um, thanks to the idea to stack players against Ottawa Senators. I had Jack Eichel and Jeff Skinner, and I believe I stacked the Ducks top line against the Rangers as well. So... A little pro tip is generally in these things, if you want to succeed, just uh, pick porous defenses and then stack players against them and hope it works out for you. Uh, anyways, though, it's a blast and I look forward to Thursday nights every week now because I'm really enjoying these contests and I'm starting to get a bit of the hang of it. And here's the deal for those of you that haven't played yet or haven't heard about this. Um, every Thursday morning, I'm going to open up a contest for that evening's slate of games. I'm going to tweet out a link and the first 20 people that sign up get to play it's on a first come, first serve basis. And unfortunately, That's the maximum size pool I can open, so for now, that's all we can do. Uh, But anyways, when you're in there, you just pick your team and you compete against fellow listeners, and it's a really good time. Uh, We're doing only a $5 entry, but it's more so for fun and bragging rights and actually winning some large sum of cash. So. Keep that in mind. And uh yeah, if you don't have a FanDuel account, just go to FanDuel.com slash PDO to sign up. And I believe that if you tell them that we sent you, they'll actually sweeten the pot by giving you a five dollar bonus to start off with. So that'll come in handy. It'll basically cover your expenses for your first contest. And I'm sure if you listen to the show and you follow hockey, you'll do well, you'll do better than me, and you'll probably win back some money and you just go from there. So anyways, it's uh it's easy, it's fun, and I hope to see more of you out there this Thursday and with that said, uh, we're going to sign off now with the outro music and hopefully be back later this week with another show. The Hockey PDOcast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash